Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. I hope you know that by now. And I hope you know that it's always appreciated when you tune in. Today, I'm joined by Washington Post columnist, Barry Sferluga, as we discuss the commander's ownership situation. But from this standpoint, Barry's been in town for 20 years. Is he surprised that we've gotten to this point with Dan Snyder? When did he think this might actually take place? Also, what would be his advice for the new owner to get the fans back? Is it just about winning? How would he set up an organization? What would he be his, what would he want to see an owner, new owner do here? And I think he has some very good thoughts and some interesting thoughts that I think you, you will enjoy. Anyway, you can follow Barry on Twitter at Barry Sverluga, and it's S-V-R-L-U-G-A. And you can read his work on WashingtonPost.com. And you can read my work, of course, on ESPN.com. There you go. Before I get to the interview, I got a couple couple bookkeeping items for players that were here or, or, or and have left. And also some ownership situation updates as much as I can provide without, because what I don't want to do folks is add to the speculation S show shit show. I'll just say it. The speculation shit show that's been going on. I apologize for you kids listening. Anyway, my kids have probably heard worse when I've watched Ohio state. Trust me. Anyway, just so you know, like, so I don't want to add to that, but I do want to provide some level of an update for you based on my reporting. Anyway, let's get to the first things first. First, Cam Sims going to be is now a Las Vegas Raider. Commanders did want to keep him. They did make him an offer. They weren't going to go very high for him. And so it's it's for Sims, you can go to a team that does not have as many receivers ahead of him as you do here. And I think, you know, maybe more of an opportunity with Washington. They did sign Marcus Kemp, who played with the Chiefs. That didn't necessarily preclude them from keeping Sims. They did make him an offer. But, you know, because they also played different, they had different roles on special teams. Um, Sims is much more of a gunner. That's not Kemp's role. And so I think it wasn't like a one for one exactly here, but he is a backup receiver. And that's what Sims was. Sims is a much more experienced and more talented receiver. And he's, he had more, he's had more catches and he can also line up and run routes from three different spots. And I know people over the years say, get him the ball more, get him the ball more. And I always liked him. But now the question is, well, who would you get him in the ball ahead of? You have three guys ahead of him that if you take, you take them, you want to get Sims more, you're taking one of those guys out and those guys are the playmakers. So anyway, good opportunity for Sims to go somewhere else and, and try to carve out another niche. I admire what that guy has done in this league. He found ways to add value to a team. And that's by being a really good special teams player, a very willing um, receiver, being able to run routes, smart receiver can run routes from again, three different spots and a really good blocker. So there you go. Also, linebacker Anthony Walker visited Washington on Tuesday. No contract. Doesn't appear one is forthcoming or anytime soon. A lot of it was, I think, to really gauge his health. Um, they are still going to look for backup linebackers. And you can, or another quality linebacker to add, you may be able to get, you. listen, guys are going to be cut after the draft. So there are going to be some teams that are going to kind of wait and wait and wait kind of kick the tires on some things and see what happens after the draft, after teams know what they have, where they can cut. 
And it's also maybe a position you can add in the draft, but you need to get another quality player there because they just haven't had the depth there. And while they have done something there, they signed Cody Barton, well, they lost Cole Holcomb. So it's really, it's, it's a one for one in terms of the quality that you have at that position. So I do think they, they want to still add and they need to, if they don't, it will be a mistake. There you go. Now, you know, my thoughts, as far as the ownership situation goes, there's been, um, I would just say, I continue to say, be careful with how, what you're seeing. And I would also say that there's a, a lot of us who are working on this story who aren't reporting a lot of things right now. Just keep that in mind. So let's go back to what we know. And also a lot of people are trying to connect dots that I don't think, I think they're kind of there. I think there's some stretches here with this dot connecting. I mean, it's just, it's getting to be a bit, it's silly season here, folks. And I think these the dot connecting is part of that. So let's go back to what we know. And here the dots that I think are more connectable or the ones that maybe matter more are what's happening with the Josh Harris group over the last several weeks. First of all, they added Mitchell Rails about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, another, a DC billionaire. So what does that do? It satisfies the money, the money, anything financially, because obviously Harris, the Harris group can afford to buy this team. But can they what what do they then do with the stadium? Well, now you have another billionaire on board that you can you have more money available, right? Magic Johnson comes on on Monday is that he's it comes out that he's been added to their group. Now he was part of their group when they got tried to when they bid for the Denver Broncos and failed to get him. So it's not like his inclusion is some automatic, oh, now it's over. But I do think it was a guy, the Harris group strengthening their group if nothing else. And Magic, you know, if, listen, both these guys, Rails and Magic Johnson would be limited partners. Harris is the controlling owner. He was, he's the guy with the say. Limited partners don't have any say. But I think a guy like Magic is good. He does have good business acumen and he is a, he's a proven winner and leader, but he's not going to be sitting there calling in a, Hey, Ron, you got to draft this guy in the third round. That's or go sign this guy. Not going to be his role, folks. Not a football guy. So um, but he is a good businessman and a good leader. And I think it's good to have him as part of an organization if that's where it goes. And for what it's worth, I've heard good things about Harris from impartial observers and that, you know, as far as as an owner and he's got a track record. And I asked Barry about how important is that? But one of the things you would hear about him is, is a desire to go out and hire quality people. He's not a big meddler. You know, he doesn't, he's not a big guy with the media. So I, I think he, he'd be, you know, if he, if he does indeed get it, I know I wouldn't expect him to be out there in front of the media talking to us all that often, maybe once a year or so. But I have heard good things about him as an owner and his approach and who the kind of people he looks for. We'll see if it transfers, if, if that's if that's indeed where it goes. And, you know, again, nothing, absolutely nothing is official at this point. The other group that we know is Tillman Fertitta. And that's the only other group that we know for sure that has bid on them. The other two groups who toured the facilities remain anonymous. That's what we know as far as that goes. Now, here's what else we know. The owners meetings are taking place in Phoenix. People arrive on starting on Sunday and they'll be there through Tuesday night. There have been times in the past that it spills into Wednesday. I don't know that that's going to happen this time around. It has not been happening the last several years. Usually Goodell wraps it up with the Tuesday afternoon press conference. And I'm kind of anticipating the same thing this time. So will there be, first of all, here's the other thing. There will be not be a vote, no vote on this franchise next week, P 
period. That was never going to happen. It would have been way too soon. So all the talk about, you know, even, even when free agency started, they knew when free, free agency started that there would not be a vote on this ownership situation until late May at the earliest. So the owners will meet again in late May. I think it's the 22nd to the 24th. That's the next time that that's the, that would be the earliest that vote would be taking place on this, on whatever group is eventually announced. Would there be an ownership announcement at the meetings next week? Well, it depends. I would say, I, I, I think there is, again, I don't want to contribute to the wild or whatever speculation. So I'm trying to be very careful with what I say. Um, but I don't think, I don't, I don't think anything gets announced this week. Now, as far as when you talk to people about next week, I still think there's some, there's skepticism that it would have, that anything would be announced next week. Could it happen? Sure. That I think people know in this process, it's kind of like some people have called it a little bit atypical. So could Dan Snyder decide over the weekend that, hey, boom, this is it. Boom, let's go. Um, sure. I don't know. But again, there's skepticism. And I would say the Washington Post has reported some of that same stuff. And I know Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer also has reported some of that same stuff too. And I think that's so I'm in line with with that with the caveat that some people here have said, well, you never know, or something, you know, could it change? Sure. So that's where we're at. So I would have, I would go in there. I'm not going to go in there. If I were you, I would just, again, be careful with everything that you're seeing and just know when there is the news, when there's the big news, it will get out and it will be reported. So there you go. I hope that helps. Anyway, let's get to my conversation with the Washington Post, Barry Sverluga. Did you know the largest ropes course in Zipline Park in the country is right here in the DMV? Located in the heart of Montgomery County, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring combines climbing and ziplining to create an aerial obstacle course unlike any other. With challenges anywhere from 10 to 75 feet in the air, there is something for all skill levels. Looking for some family time or the perfect date night before football season starts? You can even climb and zip line under the stars. Would you rather keep your feet on the ground? Give axe throwing a try. With their projector systems, you can throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's KIME, K-E-I-M, 23DC. So there you have it, folks. Climbing, ziplining, axes, food, and bonfires right in your backyard. The weather is warming up, so it's the perfect time to head outside and join the adventure at www.theadventurepark.com. That's www.theadventurepark.com. And enter promo code KIME23DC. Well, Barry... We're not at the point where we know who the owner is going to be. So we're going to stick with what we can discuss, which is, you know, impact on the road. We know this team's going to be sold. When it is, who knows? But I am curious, you first of all, how long have you been in Washington and covering sports in this area? I got here in 03. So this summer is my 20th anniversary. Wow. So almost the entire reign of Dan Snyder. That's almost. I've been blessed to cover the entire reign, I guess I'll say. But I am curious. So 
again, you've been here a long time then. Are you surprised that we're even at this point? I know this has been going on for four four months now, so but are you surprised we're at this point? Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who knows, you know, I can't say that I know Dan Snyder to sit down and have a chat with him um, because he hasn't made himself available like that, but knows how this franchise has worked and and really kind of what a combative, defiant character um, he has been, um, kind of walling himself off, not just from us in the media, which is totally fine, but also from, you know, if you talk to other people who've been involved in sports here uh, for a long time, he's not been kind of in that community, in those circles, and has really just kind of been on an island. And, you know, you go back, John, to you know, his defiance about changing the name, you will never, all caps, all that kind of thing. Obviously that had had to change, but I just never thought that he would be essentially backed into a corner where um, the confluence of the court of public opinion, his own financial situation, his own legal situation, um, kind of all came together to put him in position to say, I know I grew up rooting for this team. It was my dream to uh, win a championship like um, I saw when I was growing up um, and get to the point where he's like, essentially, I I give up. When did you start to think that it might get to this point? Because it's it's really hard even for me to pinpoint when it when you're like, oh, there's a chance that I I don't know about you, but until the release came out or the story initially that they had hired um, the bank to, to, you know, look into the possibilities. I I was, I, I was not saying, I think he's going to sell until that happened. It's just, I I think for me, like there's a built-in kind of bludgeoned into you skepticism or pessimism around this franchise that anything positive could happen um, because even in the blips of positivity that, you know, maybe it's RG3's rookie season or, or, you know, when cousins looked like he might be, maybe was a franchise quarterback, even in those little blips, I think we have been conditioned to, well, there's something around the corner that we don't know about yet. And um, it's going to turn bad. And that's not trying to be overly negative. That's just you know what the history was you know how the place works and it always happens that way so even as dan snyder was being investigated by you know pick the list the nfl um different attorneys general uh etc 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 congress i wasn't thinking you know oh this is going to ultimately be good because he'll come to the realization that the best thing for all parties is for him to sell because it, it just it almost seemed like too good to be true as a columnist who's been covering it, because you, well, first of all, you transitioned from writer to columnist. You actually covered the team for a couple of years. Was it a couple? It was a couple four. Years? For, yeah, four. Was two Zorn years and the first two Shanahan years. Yeah. Oh, you were out here for four years? Yeah. That's for you. That's like, you, that's, that's like a season. <laughs> it's, well, the last couple have felt like four years apiece. Sure. So, yeah, I didn't realize you were out here for that long. I knew it was, you know, it was. I mean, I know it was probably the best time of your life, but exactly. <laughs> but the Zorn years, I mean, those listen, the two Zorn years, that actually should be a you should probably get more than one year's credit for each one of those. Oh, those were wild. And I think that, you know, when we talk about um what are the craziest franchise to cover, um, you know, whatever's in front of you seems more bizarre. Um, but I think in terms of NFL teams, like you'd put 
this franchise up against probably the New York Jets as oh, a yes. um, as a franchise where just like you wake up every day and you don't know what's going to happen. And I, I will always say that in, in you know to demonstrate the weirdness of this franchise that um, pulling a guy out of a nursing home where he was calling bingo games and having him call plays in an NFL game the next week like that's peak. Redskins commanders, Washington football team. It doesn't get a lot weirder than that. And that actually happened. And it did. And the funny thing is in the pantheon of all this, it kind of gets, it's one of those, like, even in the last couple of years, you're like, you know, it's blah, blah, blah happened and blah, blah, blah. And oh yeah, the DEA raided their facility. There's right. always, it gets a little bit lost, but it was crazy. And I also remember, and we're going to get back to the ownership stuff in a minute, but this is a, but I remember when they, when we were doing the little presser with, um, was it Sherman Smith, right? Or, Sherman, Sherman Lewis, Lewis was Sherman the guy Lewis. they brought Sherman in. Right. So when we were talking with him outside the building and that question came up and the look on the faces of some of the team officials are like, oh, no, they didn't realize it. That was it was amazing. Like, I mean, the question was natural. Like, what were you doing last week? Well, on bingo games at a nursing home. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. and, wild and, times. It, was, it was wild times. And so but that's how we get here. So how much do you think, again, in your role, you're an observer now and you cover everything. How much do you think all that stuff has just worn down this area? And how have you seen the popularity of this franchise go from when you got here to where it is now? So, I mean, it's such a great question and a really good topic that could fill like an hour because, um, you know, I, I think there, there really was a wait list for season tickets. There, This really was a pillar NFL franchise. The, in the 80s and early 90s, um, people wanted to come here, and it, and it did, you know, bond a town that in a lot of ways, by definition, is just kind of divided because right. there's Ds and Rs, and that's kind of what um, makes the town chug along. And the football team, particularly when there was not a baseball team here, Right. had a unifying uh, effect. And there were such warm feelings around um, RFK and the stands bouncing hmm. um, and that being the place to be and it being a hard ticket to see, you know, it's almost unfathomable to see the erosion of the fan base in, in a generation of like my, people my age, um, my friends who grew up here and had such great memories of, of going to those games or watching those games on TVs and the, and the Super Bowls and, and all of that, um, try to bring up their own kids as uh, fans of this team. And a lot of them are like, why, why would I do that? Why would I put myself through that? That nothing good ever happens here. Um, it's a very or it's not a good experience as at the stadium, as we've talked about a million times. Um there's not a lot to to grab onto. So it really has, you know, we know that the wait list became fictitious after a while. We know that they've covered seats at FedEx Field um, and made the capacity less rather than larger. Um, all of that is very, very real. And it's one of the reasons why I think an ownership in my time here, the biggest sports of things that have happened are, I think, inarguably the Caps winning the Cup in 2018, the Nats winning the World Series in 2019, baseball returning in 2005, um, and then you throw in like, okay, Maryland winning the national title in 2002, something like that. I, I think an ownership change of the football team would become the most significant sports story of this century in Washington because you take something immediately that feels that it is 
limited in its possibilities that there's not any optimism around and it immediately pivots back to okay wow now maybe maybe things could change now it doesn't mean you found the quarterback long term it doesn't mean you know who the coach should be going forward but the one thing that was limiting this thing more than anything else would be changed and i just think that would just be a monumental um difference for the town as a sports town do you think i i mean this would be the certainly the biggest story since I've covered the beat and I've covered the team <laughs> since 1994. I mean, this wow. is because just the, the reaction of the fan base when this is official, when it's a finally over, officially over, I think it's going to be seismic. Yeah. I mean, I you know, people are talking about, and I think only half jokingly, like, is there going to be a, a, a parade on Constitution Avenue when the ownership change goes through. Um, it just, it shows you that, you know, there, there are plenty of franchises um, that, whose fan bases don't like the owner. They don't spend enough, you know, they're cheap. Right. The ticket prices went up, the beer's warm, whatever it is. This, this is the, the unifying thing about this fan base is it's, hatred of the owner um the the shirts that say sell the team the mm-hmm. chants that say sell the team um tanya snyder getting booed when yeah. she's doing a, a charitable um appearance yes, yeah, uh, yeah. and you know that stuff that is like probably makes it hard for the snyder family to process like what joy are they getting out of this anymore they haven't won nobody likes them around here um it's just a, it's amazing amazing um evolution or almost you know kind of just down the ramp um of of a franchise that was once so proud and so important you know and people that i talk to clearly in my job or in this role you know how worn down people are by everything that has happened and continue to happen in addition to the fact that you're not winning so like the fact you're not winning, you have that lane over here. And then it's like, you you know, people used to be, you know, you're, hey, you're proud to say you are a Redskin fan or whatever, you know, and and then it's like, well, what is it that you can claim that you can hold on to with this franchise? Yeah, What's for that? sure. For sure. And that's why, and, and that's really why, I mean, I think it's kind of every year you go to training camp and you have to write like, well, what are they going to do on the left side of the line? And do they need an upgraded linebacker? And did this first round pick? work out. I mean, that's all, you know, important in the moment, but it really felt like there was a hard cap on what this franchise could do with this owner in place because he had stunted and, you know, careers and interfered with coaches and all, all that kind of stuff. You know, those aren't just stories, that stuff really happens. And I mean, you remember my colleague and friend, Sally Jenkins, I think really writing more than a decade ago, about the effects of toxic management. Um, yeah. And and it's it's wear and tear on a workforce um, in a building where, you know, it's it's not a positive place to, you know, people have cycled through there, that matters. Um, so it's a very, very limiting factor, the fact that Dan Snyder owned and ran this team. Right, and I, like I said, I think there was a pride that, that you just haven't seen in a long time. For and sure. I think there are people desperately want to get it back. And it is funny, Barry, because I remember telling people, even when Gibbs came here and they started to like, okay, Gibbs can turn this around. Gibbs can turn around. And I remember having numerous conversations with people on my street. I'm like, the minute he goes, it goes back to what it was. Right. The minute he goes, because he's not like, you're not, you're leaving knowledge, but you're not leaving the same infrastructure because you're keeping the same guys in place. 
And it's just like, I just never felt like they could sustain with him unless you got a quarterback like a Griffin who you thought would be here for a while. But short of that, it was always going to be hard for anybody who came here. And I also think, you know, how many people have walked in that building and, you know, X number of years later walked out with their reputation enhanced uh, as a better, more upstanding, you know, I mean, I, there, there have been players who have survived and, and, you know, people don't question their commitment or their work ethic or, or whatever, but, you know, Mike, Mike Shanahan came here to embellish a hall of fame resume and try to try to get into Canton. And he's not going to get in because of what happened here. And he's, he's not the only one um, on that list. And I'm not saying that, the people that aren't some of those people aren't at fault themselves that they should right. take ownership on, on what happened while it was on their watch. But it's a very difficult place to um to enhance a career. You Scott McLuhan, did he did he look better on the way out than he did on the way in? I, we could go down the down the list. It's um the commonality in it is the guy who owns the team. And it's hard after 20 something years to look away from that to escape that. And you know when he when he bought the team, and I remember sitting in um, executives' offices and saying, like, you know, they they like they like his aggressiveness, they like this, but they were never sure if he knew how to put together a team. And just and a team includes executives around you and people that you surround yourself with, not just the players. And that was always a concern as well. Well, and and also the ability to be a listener to, to know what you don't know, um, right. to hire people that you're, aren't just yes, men that, that will, that you trust their opinion, their experience, their, their work. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe that's happened in this last shift of, of, of front office. Um, I, I, you know, we're in the midstream and, and, um, we don't really know, but it's, it, there's certainly a lot of evidence that, um, when you disagree, with Daniel Snyder, um, that's not part of a constructive conversation. That's like, okay, you're you're out um, because that was the the behavior over a long period of time. Right, and and lately it has been a lot different. But I think because there's been so much other stuff going on that that it's kind of forced some things the other way. And I think this group has been let alone more than others have been in the past. So it had, you know, so there is that. But you had two decades before this where there was a lot of evidence. So, but let's, th that's rehash. Let, let's look ahead then. Like can, can, what can a new owner do to get back this fan base? And how long do you think it would take? Is it just winning? I mean, I think winning is such a huge thing, but, the, but you start on day one as um, your greatest attribute is you're not Dan Snyder. Like it, it, like that is your biggest strength. And I think being, um, it would be very, very smart for, any new owner to have a direct conversation with the fan base to be very forward facing and say, I know what this thing was. I know that it's not what, what it was. And we together are going to push it um, forward. Now winning, it's not going to, if the first five seasons are, you know, five and 12, five and 12 and five and 12, you know, all, all of that, then, then um, that's not going to work. The winning has to come, but I think there would just be so much initial enthusiasm um, from people who are like, I'm never giving Dan Snyder another dollar. Right, right. Um, that doesn't mean they'd all come rushing back and they'd all buy season tickets and, and there would be, you know, a mad dash there. there I'm sure there will be some, um, okay, you got to show me, like I've been burned before, like get me, make me buy in. 
but just not being Dan Snyder would be such a strong suit. And then understanding that and doing some of the things that Snyder didn't do, listen to the fans, engage with the fans, um, don't just write letters and post them on the website or, or that or send emails, like really be out there um, and, and be part of the community and, and, listen to the fan base in a way that that they feel like um you share their pain if, if it's losing and and um you're with them not against them which it really felt like that at times it, it, it did and so i you know i'm curious and too like dan snyder is obviously a local kid it was a local kid grew up rooting for this franchise but after this last couple of years these last few decades is it important like josh harris and mitchell rails you know clearly grew up in this area is that important? Do you think that's important? And I know, like, I say that knowing that Dan Snyder was that guy and look where it's, look what's happened, but is that important after him? Well, I think, so I think people who grew up here and are from here and want to root for the local teams here, would you'd always prefer someone local because then you're not, it's not a carpetbagger situation. Yeah. Like, oh, would they move the team? Like that, it takes that uh, away. But I think the fan base is smart enough to know that, if you grew up as a fan of the team, that can be a plus. It can't be a plus to run the team like a fan. Like you Good have point. to run Great it point. like a business and not, not a business, like a cold business. Like it's a, you know, I always criticize the Nats owners, the the learners for the baseball team is not a mall. Like they, like you have to run it with caring and some emotion because that's Sunday afternoons are about emotion and investing your your finances, your emotions, and your time in in that team, but you have to be able to be make these guys were successful in business for for reasons, not because they they made decisions based on emotions. They have to run an NFL team um, professionally and hire professionals. And like I said before, know what you don't know and hire people who do know that and listen to them and steer the ship together, not. Um, in a way that, you know, you're like with a pom-pom and like, let's go sign the flashiest thing. And like, no, let's, let's build a team together. And, you know, and it's funny because of the groups that we know, like the Josh Harris group, I think he probably embodies that a little bit more, but I don't, you know, still a ways to go here, but I do think because he's got that ownership background, you know, how important is that to have, I'm now Tillman Fertitta also owns the Rockets too. So you can look at their backgrounds and kind of measure for yourself how you think they'll handle things. Yeah, and I think that's it's risky because it it's natural to make those comparisons and to try to learn something from how they've run other things. But the sports are different. I mean, NBA contracts are guaranteed, and NFL ones aren't. And True. you know, the caps work differently. Um, roster construction is is different. Um, and I mean, look at Ted Leonsis. Like most Capitals fans would say. Ted Leonsis is a good owner. He signed the best player in franchise history forever and ever and ever. They won a Stanley Cup. They've been in the playoffs. I think it's 14 out of the last 15 years. They're there. Yes, there's been disappointments lately, but they're constantly in the conversation. The same person owns the Wizards, and that hasn't worked out on that side. They have been largely largely irrelevant. They don't sell out the building. So, you know, it can work out differently in different sports for the same for the same owner. Um we're gonna if if it's one of these guys that um that has owned a team uh in another sport elsewhere, we're certainly gonna examine their records and their decision making in that. But I don't think it necessarily means 
he's absolutely going to be a success or a failure in the NFL because he, you know, failed or was a success in the NBA or the NHL. And that's a good point. You know what will determine a lot of that success? Do you get the quarterback or not? Do you get the right quarterback? And I mean, shoot, like if Sam Howell goes out and plays well, then they could be good this year. And, you know, and if a new guy comes in and you hit, get the right coach with the right quarterback, you could be pretty good. Yes. And that's why, you know, I'd go back to that point about what, you know, what do we talk about in training camp, all these little small machinations. Like I, I feel like for years I've had like a two uh, note xylophone in front of me banging on these two notes. One is quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. The other is owner, owner, owner. Yeah, yeah. There's no other notes to play unless those are fixed. You're on right. the brink of having the more important of those True. two fixed. The how thing is interesting because he's the guy in the chair at the moment. And we all know, like, if you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, how much that frees right. you up in terms of roster construction. So anybody, any new owner would, I would think, would be really rooting for Sam Howell to work out this year because that right. – that, really would solve a lot of problems for you um but you're right it does you know we won't know um how a new owner will fare until we know who they choose as coach as a front office and how the quarterback thing works out long term right and so it could be a little a few years so and and i i think we kind of i touch on this a little bit but is there like what would be the the top priority for whoever comes in what would you is there a number one priority that you would put on that um at all yeah, I, I think so. I think it's I'm not a fan of Ron Rivera being in charge of both both personnel and and coaching. I, I think it would be finding in my mind, it would be finding a strong, capable, experienced personnel person or and maybe experienced is wrong. Like, you know, they had they've had people in the building who could do this job um, and, and let them go. Uh, so I, I feel like somebody who understands roster construction um and that that to me is slightly ahead of who's who's the head coach um because i just i just don't feel like you know dan famously when he hired uh rivera was like oh the model that works is the coach-centric model and he plucked the guy on the street who and said you're available you've never done the other side of this but i'm going to give you both jobs i've always thought that that was backwards um so I, I would go with personnel guy as my top, my top pick. And I think that's, I, I love that point because, and it's funny because even after that, I talked to somebody who was a longtime coaching agent, who's like, I don't want my clients having that role. It doesn't work. So I right. do, you know, I think it's a very, it's, too much. it's a very difficult role and you have to have, there's so much you have to get right with it. Um, but I also like Barry, the last thing too, like one of the things that is kind of, bothered me with this organization over the years is what is, you know, how important is it to have credo, a philosophy with what you believe in? Cause I don't think that they really ever had one here. It was always like, cause I remember asking, we had an assignment for ESPN years ago where it's like, what is your credo? And it's like, well, we just want to win. That's not a credo. That's a result. Like credo is like the journey to get to that result. Right. And so right. like, you know, the Steelers, you know what they believe and you know what, you know, you know what the Patriots, believe, you, know, you know, things like that. So how important is that in your mind? Well, I think it's it's hugely important. And it was limited by who the owner was because you felt like you were you're steering. OK, we'll do this because that didn't work. Oh, right. that didn't work. We'll go back this direction, like um, offensive head coach, defensive head coach, like uh, the guy who was the quarterback's coach for the Seattle Seahawks will make him, him the head coach. Like it, it just is it. There's never been a consistency. And then 
there's never been, you know, Mike Shanahan was here for four years. Jay Gruden was here for fifth. I don't think Jay is a really fun person to talk to and, and really funny, but I don't think he's the kind of person who, who sets the tone for an organization. So when a new owner takes over identifying here's a person with beliefs about um, about personnel and roster construction and how we set the tone in that way. And here's another person who can work in conjunction with them, who's running the football team and building a staff and saying, this is what we believe in and having those two things fit. That's, that's enormously, enormously important. And it, and it has to be, um, you have to make the right choice so that in three years, you're not like, well, I mean, this guy's in the last year of his four-year deal. Um, we can't really extend him because he hasn't been successful, but we don't want to fire him yet. Because, you know, that's they constantly find themselves right. in that. And then you lay over that the problem with different regimes her- inheriting the quarterback, which happened, you know, with Ron on the way in because Haskins was left over and you, you all of that stuff. You've got to get on the same Everybody has to be on the same page from ownership, personnel people, to coaching staff. Yeah, because even that one, like incoming coaches always convince themselves or the owner that, yeah, like Jay was like, yeah, I, I can make it work with Robert. And you knew within a couple months of him being here that kind of had his doubts. And I think with, with Rivera came in, they had the same thing with Haskins. And then early in the season, actually, they felt pretty good for a part of the year. And it was like after, you know, early in the season where it kind of changed. So I think that's very important as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, but uh, you know, uh, Barry, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens. And, you know, um, do you have any, any comms or anything you, you need to plug coming up? Uh, what, what's that? Well, I got the masters in a couple of weeks. Um, opening day is for the baseball team and it's next to hundred last season is, is, uh, is next <laughs> week. Um, so a few baseball columns before that. And uh, I am on, call for if there is commander's news so i will see you in ashburn if we have something to discuss yeah and you know it's funny because this is a couple of years ago that the nats won the series i'm like these guys are three and 13 and you know it's funny because this team still dominates discussion in this town yep um but it'd be i think for the pop for the fan base it'd be nice to get back for them to get back to talking about it in a different way so we'll see what happens barry thanks a lot great guest and appreciate your insights it was it was terrific thanks john appreciate it That's it for this episode. Thanks to Barry for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back Thursday night slash Friday with another podcast or the YouTube video. So I'll talk to you next time.